you're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast with your host, Giovanni Puccini. Today's GP Soccer Podcast is brought to you by the DiBernardo School of Soccer, Yanni Training, Project Goal, My Soccer Advocate, and GP Voiceover Services. You're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast Season 4 Special Series, The State of the Game, an in-depth look at the current status of the game across the United States. Hey there, everyone. Giovanni Piccini here of the GP Soccer Podcast. It's Season 4. Season 4 has finally arrived. We're back from our holiday hiatus, as I like to call it. Uh, Our last episode, our last show back in Season 3 took place last December 2020, to give you some chronological uh, sense there. And uh, been looking forward to uh, this particular season because as I've teased back in Season 3 and through social media, this is going to be uh, a season entirely dedicated to the state of the game. So... Even though you know you you you've kind of taken a hiatus, I guess I guess um, you know from the show, I haven't. I've been pretty busy uh, throughout the course of time uh, between our, our last uh, our last show and uh, kicking off today. Uh, I've been a busy guy in preparing for this season that, as you know, is entitled "The State of the Game," and um, I've I've been very fortunate to have interviewed a number of guests who will contribute to this this theme. Um, local coaches, um, folks who work at the national level, uh, and beyond. Um, today we have a guest, Patrick Yanni, who we'll get into in a couple of seconds. You know, folks like Skip Gilbert, president of USYS, Nancy Feldman, women's soccer coach over at Boston University, Ian Barker, director of coaching education, United Soccer Coaches, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, the objective here is to try to get a cross-section of soccer professionals at every level to discuss their story, their work in the game, and get their thoughts, their feelings, uh, their insights on the state of the game, not just nationally, but in, in their locale, you know, where they function primarily in, in the sport of soccer. And uh, at the end of it all, you can figure out what the state of the game is. So I'm looking forward to it. So welcome back to Season 4. Um, the show will come out every Wednesday, as you all know. If you're a regular listener to the GP Soccer Podcast, every Wednesday... You can uh, wake up in the morning and, um, you know, click on your your device, your computer, your laptop, whatever you have going on there to listen to your uh, listen to your podcast. And you can listen to the GP Soccer podcast So every Wednesday. Uh, this will be my longest season. There'll be 20 episodes. Uh, I, I did that as a matter of planning because I think this particular theme is of such such importance uh, th- that I wanted to get as many voices as I could to contribute to this conversation. So we're we're going to go um, you know right into June with with this. So there's a, a lot of soccer to be heard, a lot of soccer to 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 enjoy relative to this idea of the state of the game. As always, you can find information about the GP Soccer Podcast on Facebook. So just go to Facebook, uh, GP Soccer Podcast, and you'll get all kinds of information as to upcoming shows and then just related content uh, relative to the to the game of soccer. So. Uh, you can you can check me out there as well as Instagram and on Twitter. You got to be on all these social media pages. Um, kind of going back for a second, if you will allow me, to season three. Uh, this is something that if you're a regular listener of the show, you you know this. I've kind of embraced um, the situation down in Belize with the City Boys Soccer Club. Uh, I had an interview with Leeton St. Clair back in, in episode th- uh, season three, and if you haven't listened to it, please do. 
And without you know getting into it, because I want you to listen to the show, will you get all the details? Uh, the situation down in Belize, uh, where they are in dire need of soccer shoes and dire need of soccer equipment. Uh, they struggle there as a, as a third world country, a third world soccer nation. And so I've kind of embraced that. And every opportunity I get to promote uh, the opportunity to contribute, to support uh, these folks in a, in a charitable way, I, I do so. So if you haven't uh, heard the interview, it's back in season three. Uh, as a matter of fact, all of the seasons of the GP Soccer Podcast are always available, but this one in particular is back in season three. Certainly check it out. You'll get all the details to uh, hopefully inspire you, your club, your youth soccer organization, your high school, your college, whatever entity you happen to be involved with in the sport of soccer to um, to contribute to these good folks down in Belize. So going back a, a little bit there, we've got some sponsors. We've got some sponsors. I want to, you heard them at the outset today, but we got the Di Bernardo School of Soccer, Yanni Training, which is kind of apropos because we have Patrick Yanni on today, Project Goal, My Soccer Advocate, and GP VoiceOver Services. So our, our sponsorship uh, family kind of grows and grows and grows. Um, so as I said, you know, over the course of the hiatus, I'll call it that, um, I was very busy and, you know, kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit. So as you listen to these broadcasts, understand that, you know, some of them took place, you know, back in December, 2020 and in, into early January. But, um, so you may hear a reference about, you know, a particular data, what, what happens, what happens to be going on at the time. So kind of, again, kind of pull back the curtain. Uh, I, I do those interviews and then we put the, what I call the A block, which is what this is, the opening A block. The B block, we're going to get all technical here, folks, is the actual interview itself. And then we come back into the C block. Huh? There's a tough one, ABC, uh, for, you know, c- concluding, um, concluding thoughts uh, in the C block. And in the C block, I'll, I'm going to dedicate primarily to one area of the game here in the United States that I'm going to address. So, um, you know, so for the predominance of those C blocks at the ending of the show, you'll kind of hear my two cents on, on various areas of the game um, that, uh, you know, I think that, you know, where we're at, where we need improvement, where we're doing really well. Uh, and you can contribute to this, by the way. You, my listening audience, can contribute to this conversation, the state of the game. Uh, just send in your emails, gp4soccer, that's the number four at yahoo.com. Um, and if there are any, you know, uh, emails that are worthy of being uh, talked about on the air, I'm going to do it. Uh, I am going to do it because not only can I provide you the voices of these wonderful people that I have for season season four, but you, my listening audience, can uh, can be a part of this conversation as well. So if you like what you hear, you want to you want to contribute something uh, you heard in one of the many interviews that will be coming up from now until June. Uh, and you want to add to it or, you know, send me your two cents, please do. GP4Soccer at Yahoo.com. And, uh, again, those those that are, that are worthy, I will, uh, you know, I'll talk about on the air and we can have a, uh, we can have a discussion. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here at the opening uh, of, of the show here because I want to get right into our, our guest today. Uh, as I noted, is, is Patrick Yanni. And uh, Patrick is the founder and CEO of Yanni Training. Uh, he had a... a rather successful playing career in MLS. It was part of the U.S. Olympic team. He was an All-America at UCLA and with his partner, Seth Taylor, uh, established uh, Yanni Training. Uh, Seth Taylor was a guest of mine here on the GP Soccer Podcast. I, I encourage you to listen to that too. Uh, if you listen to this one today with Patrick and that one with Seth, you will you'll be an expert on Yanni Training. 
So with all that said, it's so nice to be back with all of you. I've really been looking forward to getting behind the mic again and and putting this all together. Uh, Hopefully the show has gotten better. I think it has. Uh, It's always a work in progress. It's always a work in progress, like anything else worth doing. Uh, You try to improve. You try to get better. You try to learn. You try to grow. You try to evolve. um, And I'm trying to do that with the show. So I'm hoping that um, you hear those those improvements. Um, You know, if you haven't, let me know. (laughs) You know the email by now. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to this, and I, and I think we're going to have a um, a terrific season four of the GP Soccer Podcast with the theme, The State of the Game. Uh, so I'm excited. I hope you are, too. Uh, this is Giovanni Piccini. This is the GP Soccer Podcast, season four, The State of the Game. We're going to break for a commercial or two, and on the other side, we will start our conversation with Patrick Yanni. Don't you dare go anywhere. The DiBernardo School of Soccer is the only online cognitive soccer diploma course offered in the world. Coach Marcus DiBernardo is one of the leading experts on cognitive soccer and player development, has been a consultant to MLS teams, European professional clubs, and served as the cognitive soccer expert for the European soccer publication, Trainers Magazine. Be sure to check out Coach DiBernardo's work on his YouTube channel, the DiBernardo Soccer Methodology, and on Instagram under Marcus DiBernardo. For further information, visit the DiBernardo School of Soccer.com. What if there was a training method that was designed to revolutionize the sports landscape? One that encompasses more joy, peace, and love by showing athletes, parents, and coaches how to take greater responsibility for the development of healthy individual and cultural identities. Well, That method is what Yanni Training is all about. Through their workshops for youth and professional soccer clubs and through their two revolutionary guidebooks, On Frame, Exploring the Depths of Parenting in the World of Youth Soccer, and The Coaching Revolution, an interactive guide to finding joy and excellence in coaching, Yanni Training can help raise your awareness of the deep issues in the profession and how they affect your coaching experience. It's time for our culture to acknowledge that soccer is a deep experience for all of us, Go to yannitraining.com, that's I-A-N-N-I training.com, to find out how your club can solve some of the most profound problems in youth sports and return to playing soccer with joy and excellence every day. Hi, this is Seth Taylor of Yanni Training, and you're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast with host Giovanni Puccini. Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Giovanni Puccini of the GP Soccer Podcast. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, as you all know, as I described at the opening uh, of this, uh, this segment or at the opening of the show, the entire uh, season of season four will be dedicated to the theme what, as what I'm referring to as the state of the game, the state of the game. And every single broadcast in season four uh, will feature a guest um, whose expertise, whose interest, whose passion uh, is something worthy of talking about to give us a perspective on where we are in the game here in the United States or the state of the game relative to their expertise or their background. Um, So I think it's an important season. I think at the end of it all, uh, if you listen to every broadcast, and I I hope you do, we'll have 20 episodes of the state of the game. I'm going to leave it up to you, my listening audience, as to where we are, because you will have been, uh, you will have, have heard from a number of different people from, from uh, every level of the game here in the United States uh, here in season four. So with all that said, I'm really pleased, I'm really pleased uh, to say that our guest today is Patrick Yanni. As I talked about the, before the commercial break, he's the founder and CEO of Yanni Training. 
so Patrick, welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast. Thank you, Giovanni. I love that uh, you pronounce my last name uh, most authentically. <laughs> Yanni. Well, you know, I'm yeah. Giovanni Pacini. I mean, I, I got to say it right, you know? I know. Yeah, you get it really, really well. Better Yanni, than I can. Yanni, hey, listen, we could, we, could do the, we could do this in Italian if you'd like. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> my three years at UCLA of, of Italian won't uh, suffice. Okay, then I won't, I won't torture you. I won't torture you. <laughs> So again, uh, welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast. So Patrick, I want you, I was hoping that you would indulge me for a second because I want my audience to kind of know um, where you and I connected and, and, and your, your, uh, your counterpart, Seth Taylor, how we all kind of connected. And it's a brief story, but it's, it's a good one nonetheless. So in, in the, at the United Soccer Coaches National Convention uh, last January, um, I went to a, a presentation by this gentleman by the name of Seth Taylor, who I I didn't know, but the, but the topic intrigued me and the topic was sideline culture and why it matters, the origins and solutions to parent drama in youth soccer. Well, I said to myself, well, I've got to sit in on that one. Uh, that, that's a definite must. And I always arrive to the, uh, to the field session or in this case, the classroom session early. I like to get a good seat. And in this case, I'm glad I got there early and got a good seat because it became very apparent that I wasn't the only one who was interested in this topic because the ballroom was packed. It was standing room only outside the back and outside the doorway to, to the presentation area. Um, and Seth uh, did, did a wonderful job. And he, even he was a bit blown away by the response. Uh, from there, I introduced myself to Seth and I, and I, I got to talk to this guy. I've got to get him on my podcast. I want to learn more about this. And uh, Seth was a, was a guest on a previous broadcast of the GP Soccer Podcast. We had a great conversation. And since that time, uh, Seth, Patrick, and I have, have carried on the conversation about the place, um, you know, where, where, where their work uh, needs to be done. Uh, and certainly it fits the bill of uh, season four, the state of the game. So that's the story behind the story, as they say, uh, with, with Patrick, Seth, and myself. Um, and, and here we are. So, uh, so. I want to start with you have your two your two guidebooks um, on frame exploring the depths of parenting in the world of soccer uh, and then the coaching revolution. I want to kind of take a guidebook by guidebook. I want to kind of hit some some talking points and I'm going to kind of open with uh, in the on frame Patrick with with the quote from Deborah Ginsburg who I'm assuming that's a parent. No that is a a famous uh, sort of uh, I don't know exactly what her title is, but she's done a lot of work in this space um, gotcha. kind of prior to us. So, yeah. So let's, let's start with it. Cause it's, it struck me from right off the bat and it's a good launching launching point for our conversation relative to the, the parent book here. And it goes as follows through the blur. I wondered if I was alone or if, or if other parents felt the same way I did that everything involving our children was painful in some way, the emotions, whether they were joy sorrow, love, or pride were so deep and sharp that in the end, they left you raw, exposed, and yes, in pain. The human heart was not designed to beat outside the human body, and yet each child represented just that, a parent's heart bared, beating forever outside its chest. And that's the opening of On Frame. Um, so share with my audience, Patrick, how all this started with you. Uh, what is the genesis behind this effort uh, that you, you and Seth have undertaken? 
Um, yes, thank you for asking. Uh, so we, I mean, so I grew up, I'm a, um, I'll give a little bit to the audience in terms of, of my um, soccer background slash life background, but I grew up in, in Northern California, a small town called Lodi. Um, grew up there to, uh, to parents and, a, and a particularly uh, had an br older brother that played, um, started playing at UCLA when I was five. Um, so he was 13 years older than me. And, um, and that sort of indoctrinated me into soccer. Um, I, was I was playing AYSO. I was playing, um, you know, then I, you know, graduated from AYSO to club soccer at about 10 years old. This was back in, in 95. Um, and, uh, and did the clubs, you know, kind of local club soccer thing for four years before uh, moving on to uh, you know, through the ODP system, ended up making it on the youth national teams. Um, and uh, yeah, had, kind of jump started almost at my, my pro career, almost in a sense, from when I was about 14 years old, um, you know, traveling all over the, all over the world with youth national teams, um, you know, getting, getting coached by many, you know, U.S. men's national team, you know, legends. Um, uh, and then sort of transitioning into my days with UCLA, um, or, I, or I ended up going to UCLA on a full ride scholarship, um, was there for three years, played in an under 20 World Cup while I was there, sort of, uh, you know, then ended up getting uh, drafted to, to the Houston Dynamo, um, was their first first pick because the, the, the team had moved from San Jose to Houston at the time, was there with them for three seasons, two, two of which we won the MLS Cup. Um, then uh, and in my last year, uh, was fortunate to play uh, to represent the U.S. in the Olympics in 2008. Um, before going on and playing uh, the remainder of my career, mostly with Seattle, finished one year in, in Chicago. But throughout that whole breadth of, of a lot of different soccer experiences um, and wonderful soccer experiences, um, the sort of baseline experience for me was was one of of anxiety and it manifested in a number of ways um that we can get into but um but that was that was sort of the the launching pad when i was coming out of my career and and sort of you know had had kind of lost any sort of motivation to kind of continue um playing um and uh and playing for the right reasons i guess you could say um i then I then kind of was transitioning out and was trying to figure out, I was, I'd started to do some therapeutic work on myself and kind of in, in, and to try to find more peace and joy in different areas of my life. Um, and that uh, started to get me excited about how that world, that therapeutic world could start to mesh with um, the sports world. Um, and that's ultimately where we got to. I kind of started to do, do private trainings with kids and start to incorporate that um, but ultimately uh, thought that this is a, an issue that um, is, is rampant um, uh, sort of pandemic type levels. When you look at uh, youth soccer um, and, and even college soccer and professional soccer, you look at our players and you, and you look at the real true, like love of the game um, seems to be missing. Um, and, uh, and we started to really study that Seth and I both, um, who is who Seth Taylor is is the author of On Frame the Coaching Revolution um, and is a good friend of mine that kind of helped me in my transition um, out of the game and and dealing with um, a lot of that anxiety and depression and such. So, yeah, you know, I was struck uh, from a quote in the Coaching Revolution where you talk about that you 
quote, you lacked a sense of identity and knowledge of who I was on and off the field, despite, despite in having, and I, I almost used the word enjoying, but I guess that was lacking, having a, a, a rather, you know, exceptional career as from, from the youth to the collegiate level and nationally and internationally, you still found, you know, that, that lack of identity, um, you know, so kind of, kind of diving into that. And it was, it was it until you got out of the game where you started to do some introspective um, looking at yourself as to where this all came from and why? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until I guess it was the end of, end of 2013. Um, I was actually, Seth and I were having coffee and he had started to do sort of his own therapeutic work and was, was um, looking to, to change himself in his life. And, and it led him to kind of have a little bit of a head start on it uh, and was really helpful because he was the first person that could, that could really locate or, or speak into this idea that I had had an anxiety that was able to be, to be worked with and shifted versus, you know, and no one really ever had talked to me. I'd always been told like what I needed to do on the field um, in order to play and in order to develop um, things I needed to learn, what not a single coach ever addressed in me, um, at least at any depth um, was, or really at all, to be honest with you, was, was the emotional kind of barriers that lay between me and, and, and what it was that the action that I needed to take um, on a consistent basis to, um, to continue to develop. Because I was a guy that um, had a, a lot more potential in me um, uh, in terms of playing for the national team, playing overseas and stuff, stuff like that. But I never um, took the, the, the steps to kind of put me in those spots. Um, and, and of course, you know, had plenty of stories, uh, you know, that I was kind of living in during my playing career that, that I believed were the reasons why I wasn't getting to where I wanted to go, of course, but, um, it was very much, um, you know, these were, there were these emotional blocks. So having that, that kind of conversation with Steph just propelled me into starting to go. I did, I went to a couple of different, uh, you know, sort of kind of started to work with some therapeutic professionals bottom line. And, um, and, uh, and that's what's kind of spurned it. it started to kind of turn in me. So I was doing this work kind of on the, on the back end. And then I was like, man, like, this is stuff that we should be giving to players that we should be um, the kind of culture that we should be uh, creating and fostering from the very get go. Um, and so that's kind of, that's, that's what, what led us to what we are doing now. And um, yeah, I'm grateful to be kind of a, uh, you know, leading a charge in a sense regarding the, the uh how we prioritize uh we could call it child development but the emotional and psychological foundations of our industry um and uh yeah and just creating an, an awakening of sorts in this space um to how those how we are actually building technical tactical all these types of things um on top of of an emotional and psychological foundation that gets formed in the first uh 10 years of life you know, um, hearing your story, uh, some things resonate with me as a, as a coach educated with United Soccer Coaches, particularly in the grassroots courses. You know, we talk about the physical development, technical, tactical, mental, cognitive, but we also talk about socio-emotional. Um, I, and this is very unscientific, Patrick, um, I don't know how many coaches um, will address deal with that socio-emotional part of which I think you're talking about here. Um, to help our young players, um, you know, deal with those aspects because because sports is emotional. 
sports is obviously, you know, something sociological because we're dealing with other people. Um, I, I think, and again, very unscientific, if, if grassroots co coaches could grasp that aspect, the socio-emotional portion um, of, a, of a young player's development, we might be able to uh, help those young people, you know, get the tools necessary to, to, to sort, that, sort that part out and not wait until you're adults. You're an adult yeah. and, and get, like you say, getting on, on the back end. So circling back to, you know, the, the parental part here in the on-frame guidebook. So you realize that, you know, there was an issue with parental behavior uh, and, 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 and there needed to be arguably a different approach to it. Was, was it an aha moment, Patrick? Was there a certain, you know, were you at a game and you, and you, you saw some behavior that like, oh my God, that's just terrible. Or was it just something over time you just saw enough of a type of behavior that caused concern to then prompt you and Seth to tackle it um, and then ultimately, you know, put this, put this book together called On Frame. How did, how did that all go? Yeah, I would say that there's three things. One, my own experience, my own experience of, of um, yeah, having a difficulty really speaking about or, or looking into my weaknesses of, as a player. Um, it was, it was um, just felt like something that there was a block there for me to be able to go in there, feel safe enough um, internally to be able to look at those things and start to work them out and start to work on them, whether that was my left foot, whether that was, um, uh, you know, my ability to take in little tactical information from my coaches and trusting that um, it was a variety of different things. So I would say within, within my own experience, that was the first thing. That was the, the sort of the biggest thing we've drawn upon, but we've added to that, you know, looking around my last year playing um, and sort of all my connections within uh, professional soccer still, uh, and all those relationships, I started to really clearly see how this was affecting. And we've gone on to work with now several MLS players and national team players, um, both on women's and men's, uh, that are that are struggling mightily with um, trying to reconstruct their relationship with the game or re-engineer um, how they how they do soccer. Um, and I've had many kind of tell us about their hatred of soccer, their um, you know, their, uh, their struggle to, to get better, their struggle to find joy in it, um, the anxiety that lies there with, with coaches' decisions and all that kind of stuff, um, contract decisions. And, um, and so that's kind of the second piece was all these, these relationships of guys that are, that are in their 20s and 30s, right, that, you know, uh, you would think um, had these long, long careers, like you mentioned, that they were, you know, enjoying it. Um, but it was just kind of, it was affirming that, that what we already knew. And then lastly, it was my work and Seth's work with, with, uh, with younger players um, and getting on the field with them. And it wasn't a single one in the first year that I, I retired, I worked with hundreds of players and there wasn't one of them that, that really embraced and was looking for me to help them. They were all looking for me to tell them that they were okay um, and that they were loved and that sort of thing. And, um, and that, you know, even more so sort of, you know, kind of screamed at this idea that there's something embedded in our relationship with the game. Um, and that's kind of where we had already gone and we were already started to understand that. Um, but, but the interactions with these young people um, very much affirm that, I guess I would say. You used, uh, in, in, in regular listeners of my show and those who take part in coaching education courses that I happen to deliver, 
know that I, I speak at length about the word fun or joy. I call it, the term I use is the infusion of joy, the infusion of joy. And, um, you know, that, that word fun or that word joy is, is, is such a simple word, three letters, but it, it, is, it is arguably, arguably at every level, the most important facet um, you know, for, for athletes to, to kind of hang their hat on, if you will. Uh, again, people, people know this stat if they, if they listen to my show. Uh, and it's a disturbing stat, nonetheless. <clears throat> and that is up to 70% of youth sports athletes, which obviously includes soccer, quit youth sports by the time they hit high school, and in many cases, before middle school. And the data, the research is all out there. It boils down to a very simple reason, that is, it's just not any fun or they're just not having any fun. And I find that to be a tragic uh, thing to, to, to have to kind of digest uh, because sports, whether, and, and you can speak better this than I can at the professional international level, um, sports should be fun. You know, whether you're a six-year-old, you know, getting out there playing four versus four or you're stepping on the field to represent the United States of America, you know, in, in, a, in an international match, at some level, it should be fun. Is, is that safe to say, Seth? Uh, excuse me, Patrick? Yeah, yeah, well, sports, yeah, sports soccer is, is fun. It's objectively fun. Um, the problem is, is when you look across, and, and I can say this pretty confidently now, that about 100% of our American youth players, and then that kind of goes into, you know, eventually they become college players and, and professional players, um, do not experience joy as their sort of foundational experience of the game. Now they enjoy, you know, being with their friends um, out there. They enjoy, you know, certain, certain, you know, social aspects of it, but um, there's also social aspects of it that, that do trigger massive, you know, anxiety and anger and different stuff too. But I would say that you'll find it in the social aspects, some, some joy and fun, but when it comes to their actual development and their, their, um, their growth and their, um, you know, trying to kind of, when their relationship with the game itself is not one where, where joy um, exists, it just isn't. And, and that's really points to this idea that we've been kind of working on through on frame um, and the coaching revolution and, you know, our seminars and stuff that we do with people, we're talking to, to, um, to clubs and, and, you know, state associations and talking to them about this idea that there's a process that we've, we've overlooked within the youth sports uh, industry, which is identity development. And it's a, it's a sort of concrete thing that happens in those first 10 years of life uh, where we are asking the questions as kids, these kids that are, that are in sports at four and five years old are asking the questions, what makes me safe and what makes me valuable? Uh, 24 7 365 they're asking this question and when brought into a space like youth sports where um, there are rules and there's kind of right and wrong way of doing a throw-in and right and wrong way of of you know staying within the you know the boundaries of the field right we can't go and give mom a hug at five years old or can't give dad a hug we have to stay inside these bounds for 20 minutes or whatever the you know the, the duration of the game is and then beyond that, right, we are getting a feedback loop from mom and dad, you know, every time we score or every time we miss a shot that says I'm, I'm good for doing this, right, and, and, and I'm, or I'm safe and love. There's this rocket fuel type of cheering that happens um, or, or, you know, clapping or, you know, hooting and hollering that happens that does something to that sort of ever-present joy that is, is 
part of being a kid. Um, and it actually, it gives them this kind of elevated experience of that joy from mom and dad, which is the person, you know, the people that they're looking to for it. Um, and then what happens is, and this is the important piece is that we have to understand that that also develops a shadow for them, meaning if they score great, they get this, this, this sort of adrenaline filled love, right? But if they don't, you know, there's always this question, well, if I don't, well, if I don't score, if I don't get the assist, if I don't make that tackle, right? If I don't work hard, if I don't say that I'm having fun, right? Then what, right? And that's, that is the whole kind of premise behind what we are doing is an understanding that that in and of itself is, is it really is traumatic at the core. It's called uncomplicated PTSD, but it develops a relationship with the game where there is a embedded fear or anxiety that we are going to lose the one thing that we need the most as human beings, which is love and, or we could call it safety. Um, and that is it, from that standpoint, the game, it does tend to get the joy and it gets very, very clouded very quickly. And you're and, that, and it's showing up in those statistics that you that you mentioned 70% of kids are, are quitting sports by the time they're sounds like about 12, 13, 14 years old, which just happens to be the time when they're, coming out of their developmental years, right? And they would just start to become really good at sports because they would start to have this inner thing uh, birthing within them that would be asking the question, what can I do rather than what makes me safe and what makes me valuable? But we spent those first 10 to 12 years, uh, you know, trying to teach them technique and, and, and pouring our quote unquote love onto them um, and yet by the time they're 12 and 13, they're, they're out of the game, except for those that have got, had gotten so much love like myself, who I had started to realize this is a place as a very athletic kid, I could go get love, which I'm not saying this happens to all of us very athletic people, because a lot of them, um, you know, did experience the, the sort of loss of that and their egos, ego shut them off. And the ego was like, I'm this, I'm going to get, get away from this because the feeling there is too intense where for me, I just kept going because it was a place where I did get that little adrenaline filled love, which was better than sort of, you know, the absence of it, if that makes sense. Oh, indeed. Uh, you know, I recall <clears throat> uh, learning from Seth and his presentation about this idea of projection, you know, parents unconsciously, you know, they project their emotions and their, and their own human needs towards their child. And again, I, you know, I'm not an expert, but it might be safe to say that that, that idea of projection compromises, uh, stagnates uh, the idea of the kid having fun because mom and dad, and then again, unconsciously, you know, are projecting what, what they want, what they need, what they want to get out of a situation that their, their child is involved with. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes complete sense and is, is 100% true. Um, the, the, the stuff that us as parents and coaches are carrying um, is, is the first place we need to look when it comes to uh, the blocks that we have. And that's exactly, literally specifically what On Frame and the Coaching Revolution are doing is creating an awakening to parents, not telling parents what to do because that hasn't worked. And we've tried that, you know, uh, kind of to your point of the state of the game and where we're at. We've done that for a really long time. We've told parents first, we kind of were like, you know, maybe back in the day, they, they weren't so interested. And then as the, maybe into the 90s, they started to become interested in volunteering and in, in coaching because we didn't have a lot of coaches uh, in, the, in the U.S. back in those days. Um, but it can kind of sort of become increasingly more um, interested in their kids' game 
you know, partially because of their own trauma, partially because the system has, has set it up with a fee, you know, very, very high fees to be involved. It, it starts to become this thing where their ego is, is looking at it as an investment of sorts, of course. Um, but their stuff that they're carrying is the, is the first place that we have to look for the parents and coaches alike. Um, and that stuff is definitely disrupting the sort of natural development of, of this, what we could say is unconditional love in those first 10 years that creates a healthy foundation on which that child can choose to build technique and tactics and that sort of thing um, at an age at 13, 14, you know, starting about 12 or 13, where they can have the sort of uh, the emotional uh, independence, so to speak, to go after those things, um, to go after, after uh, a, a, you know, development of those different aspects of soccer that, that, that it takes to become the type of player that they want to be. But that's not a question that they're asking until 12 or 13. They're not, the, the, the human is not asking the question, how do I become a pro at six years old? It's just not. Now, of course, some, you'll hear that from some kids, but it's based out of their, their parents were bringing them to the game at two and three years old to soccer tots, soccer tots or all these different kind of um, experiences out there. And they started to build a, a, an attachment to soccer as a place where they get love. Um, and that's, of course, we, don't, we want the game to be free of that. And when the game is free of that, then they just play and they remain in a state of joy because that's a, the, their natural state. Um, and it, and it will, has massive effect on their ability to, when they get into, like I said, into those teenage years um, and beyond to remain in that state of play as they're challenging their weaknesses, right. As they're taking criticism from coaches, as they're, you know, getting dropped from the A team to the B team, um, you know, even temporarily. So. Sticking with that idea of projection, <clears throat> The challenge, I guess, and that's what a capital C, I think, is the challenge is, is, is for parents to temporarily, and I say temporarily, that's during the course of a game, let's say, or, or maybe beyond, maybe even during training. The challenge is, is temporarily disconnecting that invisible, but yet very tangible emotional connection of parent and child. Is that even possible to do? Uh, well, I would say that it's a great question. I would say that disconnecting is is uh, it actually speaking to the state of the game, there was a, a, a really sort of, I don't want to say famous psychologist, but there was a, a influential psychologist in the game of soccer. And I can't remember her name right now in the, in the nineties uh, into kind of early two thousands, at least who spoke about this idea of within players that to disconnect, basically leave your stuff. You probably are, are familiar with what I'm saying, or, or we'll probably come up with the name here in a second, but to, to park your stuff, you know, sort of outside the field, like leave your stuff outside the field, come onto the field free. Right. And you can pick up your problems sort of later. Well, I, I think if we apply that same thing to even, I mean, ultimately I don't think that that is the most helpful way to, to address players issues either. But when we're dealing with the parents, um, the idea of disconnecting, I don't think, is, is ultimately helpful because ultimately that stuff that's within us is going to come out sort of sideways at one point if we don't address it. So the idea is what On Frame does is helps parents can connect with those parts of them that are the that are disrupting, if you will, um, this this process. And it's and the parts of them that they're going to be looking at are also the parts of them 
that were traumatized back in their childhood. So this isn't a pointing of fingers to parents saying, hey, you know, you're, you're just messing it up. It's very much of, hey, there's parts of you that are still needing their needs met, like you were saying, right, that, that are still needing their needs met or get, trying to get their needs met through their kid's performance, through their kid's, yeah, uh, soccer experience. And, and that is clearly not a helpful thing for, for the child who is now bearing that weight as they are trying to get the love from mom and dad, right? In order to get that love from mom and dad, they got to carry all, all of mom and dad's crap. Um, that's not helpful. <laughs> Just not helpful. You know, yeah, it is not helpful. You know, I, as, as I listen to your answer, maybe disconnecting might not be the right word, but maybe neutralize their, their emotional connection. I don't think you can ever really get rid of it. Uh, you know, totally disconnected. I mean, at the end of the day, it is your kid out there. Um, and, you know, and that, and that takes work. You know, you, you, we, we're talking about parents, uh, as you did as an individual, becoming introspective and doing a self-reflection and having the capacity to look at them themselves and, and identify behaviors that are not conducive to ensuring their child's joy on the soccer field. And a, a lot of people, parent or not, I mean, that's a difficult thing to do. Is that a safe, safe thing to say, Patrick? Yeah, it's definitely a difficult thing to do, especially when um, your ego has, has created some sort of storyline. In the case of our kids, the storyline often looks like, hey, our kids need to be playing soccer um, or our kids need to be playing a sport, right? They need it for their physical maturation. They need it for you know, social, emotional and maturation of sorts. Um, they need it for all sorts of things, character building, right? So there's, a, there's I, I hear from, from parents a lot and there's, a, there's this need to step back and realize that, um, that sports are a, a powerful thing. They are a good thing. They can be, they can create a lot of good in the world. And yet, if we, if we look at them and sort of push them on our kids like they need to happen, right? And I, of course, the industry itself has perpetuated this in a way, right? Because we've marketed the heck out of parents saying, you know, all of the above, right? And more, right? College scholarships, all these kind of things. Um, we, have to, uh, we have to recognize that there is an, an element of, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, will you repeat the question real quick? I just thought, I just... Yeah, no, no, no worries. We can, kind of, we can kind of move on because I want to kind of, a lot of stuff coming out of your answers are, are so important as I scribble my notes down here. I want to make sure I address the important things. You know, I, I want to, you know, we've been kind of maybe, you know, harping on parents a little bit, maybe beating them up just a little bit. Maybe not, I don't know. Um, you've, ta you've talked about, and Seth has talked about cr um, creating an awakened uh, parent culture. Uh, and I remember, and I'm going to kind of jog my memory. I remember Seth talking to me about, you know, awareness and, and compassion and wisdom being what's normal on the sideline. And he talked about um, transformation versus education. Speak to my audience about that, that idea, uh, about creating that, that awakened parent culture and the difference between transfer, transforming uh, parental behavior and just educating parents. Yeah. Well, yeah. What you said earlier, I think, regarding uh, about parents being able to kind of help their kids um, in this space, right? Is, is the love, their love is by far the number one player development tool out there. And we haven't really, you know, we haven't had a, enough of a wave or momentum to say like, hey, this is the space, this is where 
as clubs, we are going, we are going to go um, invest in the parents because the parents are the emotional and psychological foundations for the entire industry. We're going to go there and first honor the experience of parenting as a very deep one, right? And a, a transformative one. Um, we're going to acknowledge that first. And then we're going to also acknowledge that you guys are by far the most important piece of this entire, entire, you know, development system. Um, and so we, yes, we want to ultimately, I think every, every parent wants to be able to sit there on the sideline free of all the judgment that they have free of, of all the criticism of, you know, whether it's their own kid or other kids or, or coaches or whatever directors that we could sit there, um, and be to your point, be neutral in a way, um, where we can allow everything to be and trust that there's going to be that, that this whole, the way that things are playing out are, are perfect for everyone. It's perfect for the, for the evolution of the game and the evolution of the way that we care for players. It's perfect for the evolution of their own child. Right. And the, the sort of the hiccups and the, you know, the getting put on the bench is actually a helpful thing for them. Right. If, if, if taken, if, if the right perspective is taken, or even if the right perspective isn't taken, that that suffering that exists in that space is, is helping them kind of wake up to the ways in which we've relied on other people, you know, outside sources um, at 12 and 13 for love. I'm working with a lot of players in, in their teenage years that have sort of just handed over their, you know, their, their emotional experience to coaches and parents. And, and, and they're just sitting around waiting for someone to, to kind of, uh, affirm them at all times instead of taking sort of, sort of ownership of that. So, um, but parents, uh, become that sort of foundation, uh, no matter what. And what we're trying to do is, is leverage that love that they have for their kid to wake them up so that they can experience, you know, their, their own joy and their own peace, um, and, and own their own, their actual love for their kid that, that is removed with no conditions on it. They don't need to you know, work hard, that they don't need to say that they had fun, that they can just be completely honest and authentic at all times. And that through that process, as they start to kind of drop or let go of some of the trauma that they've been carrying, they will actually become the player that they were always capable of becoming and the player that the parent always knew they were capable of becoming, but didn't understand why. Um, and I think that's a really important piece of it, that the, that the awakening that happens with On Frame is about going to the depths where these in, within a parent so that they can see them and have an awareness of them so that they don't come in uh, and project into the kid's game in, in a number of different ways. And we're seeing it not just with, you know, the way that the, the anxiety and sort of the, you know, the hatred of their experience that, that players are having, right. We're seeing it in coaches because coaches are burning out like crazy um, and have been doing so for, for a long time. Um, we have, uh, and that's a, that's even at the competitive, you know, when we're, we're, coaches are getting paid, they're getting burnt out, right? This is not talking about just, you know, the AYSO volunteer coaches that are also, of course, getting burnt out. We're talking about referee issues, right? And this is all stemming from, uh, you know, not uh, looking at parents and honoring them and honoring that they are going through something in youth sports that is really deep because some part of them has, has connected in in an unhealthy way to the, to the performance or the development of their kid, right? Um, and then uh, but it's also kind of affecting, you know, branching into all of these, these other areas. It's almost, not to sound profound here, although I've been known to be profound every once in a while, Patrick. <laughs> uh, um, it's, 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 
you talk about lifting the shackles of emotion um, off of virtually everyone, you know, and not, and not just emotion in general, but because it's good emotion. We, we can agree on that. Uh, and, and the word escapes, I don't know if it's negative emotion or, or stifling emotion, whatever you can insert, whatever word you like before emotion. But if we can lift those shackles of said emotion and allow players to go out to the field and be free to enjoy, um, whether it's a training day or a, a game day, uh, to lift the shackles of emotion of parents so they can sit on the sideline and enjoy um, everything, whether it's in the game, being with, with other parents, that the weather, whatever it happens to be, to lift the shackles of emotion off the coaches. You know, it, it, it's, it's easier said than done. Let's, let's just circle on and say it. it's easier said than done. But uh, it sounds to me that, that the cornerstone of your effort here is indeed trying to lift those shackles off of folks so that they can focus on, on, what's, on what's most important. That's the, the, the welfare of, of the player, the welfare of, of parents, welfare of the game. Um, is, is that too, too profound or, or am I on to something? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good way of saying it. There, there, is, a, there is shackles, right? We, we speak of it as like there's an emotional ceiling on the development of players. Um, I would say that the development of parents and development of coaches, and we're, we're all kind of existing in this um, weird addiction almost to mediocrity. We, the players that we produce in our system, although highly athletic, right, and, and, and highly trained, end up most of them coming out of the system as antelopes, meaning they are running for their lives afraid that they're going to lose, like I said before, they're going to lose in their, it's a perceived experience by a younger part of them is going to lose the love that they so desperately need. And that's just, that's not good enough. Right. And I think that we're, the reason on frame is, is kind of taking off like it, like it is. Um, and, and MLS academies are, are taking to it and purchasing it for across the board for their parents um, is because we, we're starting to recognize that we can do better um, and, and it's something that has been so the, the, the emotional part of the game, I guess we could say has been so underserved for so long and we haven't, and of course, and the parents have been underserved for so long, um, that we've, we've left ourselves in this space where we're just kind of struggling to survive in a way to keep the industry alive in, in a sense, because especially through COVID, um, but even before that, where we're having the drop-off rates so heavy that we're okay just kind of bringing kids in at four and five years old, right, and, and getting them sort of addicted to this adrenaline-filled love that they're getting, um, but never addressing what that does to the kid, right? How not investing in parents leaves the parents kind of just, you know, kind of just dry at the end of the whole experience. By the time I got a brother and sister-in-law who are in this space, and it's, it, you know, they're all, they, they talk and complain about the, 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 the drive that they have to make sometimes to, you know, and obviously some of these drives are kind of ridiculous, you know, in, in the United States to, to tournaments and stuff, but even the drives to practice and all that stuff, it, there's not a joy and there's not a love in it, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, and we're all kind of just hoping for that thing that's out there that's beyond most of us, whether it's a scholarship or college and you hear that that anxiety just start to really build up around 15, 16 years old, even earlier at times with parents trying to kind of steer their ship towards different colleges and helping the kid and the kid doesn't know what they want. Right. Um, because they're so disconnected from, from themselves and they've just been trying to survive in this space. It's just fascinating, but yes, the emotional shackles is a very good way of putting it. 
Um, I think emotional ceiling is also an excellent way to understand it because if we're looking to evolve and there's this thing that keeps blocking us like it was for me, right, where I was complaining about, you know, my coaches constantly, right, and always trying to change that as opposed to uh, recognizing that all that effort was, was a distraction from uh, the very thing that I needed to heal so that I could just take the shackles off and I could become you know, the, the sort of U S men's national team player that I, I could have been, I guess I could say. Let's, let's move on. I want to kind of focus in now on the other guidebook, the coaching revolution. We've spent a lot of time with the parents and parent coach and um, let's zero in now on, on your, your other guidebook called the coaching revolution is, and as a coach, and I still coach, I'm not a head coach at the collegiate level anymore, but I still, I'm still a goalkeeper coach at a local college. Um, but more so as a coach educator, th this guidebook really struck a chord to me. And I kind of, I guess it kind of makes sense. And, and again, just flipping, the, the, flipping through the pages here, there's on you page 10, just a, a couple of things that I, I just want to share with, with the audience. It kind of really drives up, uh, drives the, the point home. Um, the first one, athletes need to enjoy their training. They don't enjoy going down to the track with a coach making them do repetitions until they're exhausted. From enjoyment comes the will to win. And the second one from Jackie Robinson, a life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. And it was that second one that really kind of hit home for me because as, as a coach, we oftentimes have more of an impact on a young person than a parent does. I know that having done this for Oh my goodness, 40 years almost, don't tell anybody, but almost 40 years um, that we have, we have that, that kind of uh, impact. Um, share with my audience the, 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 the focus on the coaching revolution, whether the ingredients that, that you and Seth kind of uh, uh, put together to, to, to kind of to get this, the, this approach up going and running and uh, how you wanted it to resonate. Yeah, um, well, and I, yeah, I, I, I want to first say that I agree that but I'll, I'll rephrase it a little bit. I think coaches have the ability to do a tremendous amount of repair work for kids. Um, I think that parents have in large part have the, the, by far the biggest influence in their child's life. Um, but for the coaches that, yeah, the coaches are there and, and, and around them. And if they understand what's going on on a deeper emotional level for these kids, even those that are outside, I, I spoke earlier about the developmental years and that, that those constant questions and those they're, they're looking and locating themselves and their identity in that experience of safety or love or unconditional love, ideally of parents. Um, they're doing the same thing in re relation to coaches, even though in those younger years. Um, but I'll, 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 I'll explain sort of my experience of the coaching revolution or my, or where we're going with that uh, with a quick story of, of a, a girl, a 16 year old girl that I trained a couple years ago who was brought to me because she was 16. She was super athletic um, center back that, that didn't have the ball uh, at all. And, um, and had, their coaches had been working with her for a few years. And so they're like, kind of like, Hey, you, you know, is it, you think this is an emotional thing? And I was like, yeah, most likely if she has been three years and she's not doing it. Um, and so we, we started to work and I, after hitting maybe five or six balls to her, um, you know, I started throwing them to her first just to build, kind of build confidence. But I, I backed up pretty quickly just to kind of see where she was at. And she kept ducking every single ball. And so I jogged into her and I said, Hey, I go, I go, what's uh, what's going on here? Why, you know, why are you scared of hitting the ball? 
And she goes, she thinks for a second, she goes, I, I don't want to let my team down. And I go, Oh, that's interesting. I said, I, you know, I've worked with your team. They seem like, you know, pretty good, you know, pretty nice group of girls. Um, you know, uh, can you, you know, and then I, then it hit me. I said, who's your team? And she goes, and she starts bawling and she goes, my family. And right there was like, okay, there has to be an awareness for coaches of what's going on there and how the kid has, has, uh, has linked soccer and their performance to getting love. And these are younger parts. I don't think it was that 16 year old that was out there saying, you know, I need to be perfect. I think it was this younger part of them that when they were asking those questions about what makes me safe and valuable, they were getting this feedback loop and they, and their, their ego constructed this identity that said, okay, I need to be perfect in this space or else there's a, there's a threat of losing this thing. And for coaches to be able to understand that and understand the way in which they developed in the same system uh, where they were seeking love and how that ends up, we talked about projection earlier, how the coaches end up projecting as well onto the kids. And, it, and it's a thing where we can't just see the kids for where they're at. We need to somehow get them to, you know, to develop beyond where they're able, actually emotionally able to, to develop. And then we, you know, we get, you know, just then we get sort of our anger for coaches. I know anger is a big one that comes up. And when I was coaching uh, club soccer here in Southern California, I would see these, these coaches getting just pissed. And some of them knew that they shouldn't be getting pissed. Right. But there was just, it was starting to come up within them because they needed the players um, to sort of fulfill a narrative within with, that was a survival narrative for them. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where we're going. Where, where can we have coaches that are able to, you know, step in and say, Hey, what's going on? You know, how, how you doing? And be able to meet that with, with just pure kind of compassionate listening and understanding um, and an understanding that, that that's really what they would be most helpful to them um, as a starting point. So, yeah, I think that the coaching revolution, uh, or, well, that's what the coaching revolution ultimately is, is trying to serve in a coaching. And I think it's a massive missing piece um, or the missing piece in coaching education is an understanding of that identity development process that we were talking about earlier. You know, when I teach coaching education courses, I, I spend a lot of time um, talking about this idea of, of emotion. And I, and I share with coaches uh, this idea that emotion clouds your capacity to see things objectively, analytically, clearly. You know, so, so if a coach is in an emotional state where he or she is projecting on players and said emotional projection is, you know, uh, prohibiting them from, from seeing things as they really are, they're doing a disservice to the players. They're doing an absolute disservice to the players. And again, circling back to our, our previous part of our conversation about, you know, uh, looking at yourself and being self-critical and then not only being self-critical, taking the appropriate measures to, to, to better yourself so that you can then put the emotion aside so that you can better, you know, and objectively analyze, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, do a better job, you know, in, in helping out the players it is, is key. Emotion clouds that capacity. Um, but one thing I really want you to kind of share with my audience, and it's, it's a key, it's this idea of boys versus girls or men versus women and the different approaches and one not being better than the other, not being one right and one wrong, but the different approaches that is necessary when you're dealing with, with dealing with boys or young men or girls or young ladies. Sure. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, 
The, so I, I've, I can say that I've gotten the chance to work with many um, young ladies, young women uh, since retiring. Um, and I think that there is uh, a softness at times that, that is needed uh, with them and an understanding, especially coming from the uh, kind of the, kind of the perspective of this this very masculine energy that kind of tends to come out in myself and, and other other male coaches, but I, and and even female coaches, um, where there is this you know we need to get somewhere with you, right? Where is this you know and and being able to provide this this um, this presence and this sense of where we are at right now is okay. And then building on top of that, this layer of what do you want out of this and the freedom to start to, you know, and, and, and helping them understand maybe why they don't tend to set goals, why they don't tend to set, you know, kind of big goals um, and being able to meet them where they're at, but also kind of layer on top of that, what they want. But I also think that a lot of that, um, rings true for, for, uh, young men that I'm working with or, 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 or boys that I'm working with. But for the most part, um, I think the difference is with men or with some of these young men that I'm working with, um, there can be a, maybe a, a, a directness at times that I use with them that I wouldn't tend to use with, with, with the female. Uh, and I don't know if that's right or wrong. I think that the question's a great one. Um, I, I don't know if I can articulate truly the, the entirety of what I'm trying to get at, but I know that on both sides, boys and girls, there is a, an anxiety that, that does uh, manifest itself in relation to this identity development process that, um, that both of them very much need this, this foundation to be set in order to kind of press into their dreams with, you know, joy being the sort of the, the place where it's coming from this place of, of desire, as opposed to this place of, of kind of neediness around the game. I always talk to people about, to kids about this idea that like, we can't ask the game to love us. You know, even as a professional, I would make 50 mistakes a game. Um, and the whole time I was at, I was, you know, asking my coaches and I was asking, you know, the press and in cer certain kind of unconscious ways to tell me that I was, okay and loved and, and good. Um, and if I was to actually remove those emotional shackles um, and just be there and, and, and say, I want to, I want to get better at my left foot. I want to, um, I want to, uh, you know, start to take players on. I wanted to, um, you know, get, you know, start to tackle as a defender more or whatever it is. Right. Um, start to take chances, play against better players. I think for that, for me, that is the one thing that I've noticed in the last, I guess it's been four or five years of doing private trainings um, with kids is, is that where that anxiety pops up, we have to be able to, as coaches, go to that and say, Hey, I see that there's, there's something going on here. What do you, what's going on inside of you? You know, when, when you're trying to get on the ball a little bit more, right. You notice that a lot of kids, like a lot of good players will end up playing outside back, right. Um, kind of center back and will be away from the action. And that's a way of, of them, even though they're, they might be a really talented player, right? We know there's some emotional block there for them just saying, Hey, I want to play the 10. I want to play the nine or seven or 11, right. Or the six, they don't want to be around the ball. So they end up kind of coming off into these more, these safer places. So I will say that both sides have this to articulate 
kind of the, like I said before, the, the boys and girls thing. Um, it's a really good question. I'm going to be thinking about that one. So <laughs> oh, there you go. That's your unofficial homework assignment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. I'll have, you, I have to have you come back on. You have to give me the answer. Sure. Um, I, you know, I think what you were talking about earlier <clears throat> that you maybe struggled with was this idea of delivery. You know, you, the, the, the idea, the content, the coaching point, whatever, can be the exact same thing for, you know, for Johnny or Janie. It's all in the delivery. You know, how, how you deliver it with, to Johnny is going to be a little bit different than how you deliver it to Janie. The, the point remains the same, just the delivery is, is going to be uh, missing. You, you made a really, really important point, and I really want to highlight this, this idea of asking, you know, the boy or the girl, the athlete, what do you want? What do you need? Um, I, I think that's something, that simple question or the idea of asking is, is a non-gendered universal question. Um, and I think if you ask that, what do you want, what do you need, or, or just ask a simple question, uh, it, it, and you get the answer, you know, I, I think that could do a world of good for not only the, the coach, because the said answer is going to provide them the, the information to then help the athlete. And then the athlete says, well, he or she, they, they really care about what I need or what I want or what I'm struggling with. Um, and, and they're going to try to help me with that. Um, so I think if, if more coaches, you know, were just ask questions and probe a little bit with some level of sensitivity and certainly empathy. I mean, if you played the game that you, you've been on the field, you know what these kids are going through, what playing the game of soccer, you do it in an empathetic fashion. Um, you know, you, you're, you're going to have kids who are going to be a little bit more at ease than when they step on the field. Maybe they won't hide, you know, as an, as an outside back, maybe they'll get in the mix. They'll get in the mix. Uh, but I think that was a super, super uh, important uh, you know, point that you've made about just asking that, that very simple question. Um, so last but not least, let's, let's take a look at what uh, you and Seth are doing. Let's take a look at the issues we've talked about over the last 45 minutes or an hour, uh, looking down from, as they say, from 50,000 feet. So in, in the context of the state of the game relative to the issues that, that you said in your books and what you and, you and Seth are doing, where are we, Patrick? Where are we? Yeah, we... Um, we aren't going to, to fix this problem overnight. Uh, that's for sure. Um, however, there needs to be, in order to, to change it, we, we have to invest, um, in a, in, you said it earlier, into transformative resources or tools around the sort of emotional experience for coaches and for, for parents, right? And we, we've created these guidebooks that we've been talking about during the show on framing the coaching revolution to be transformative experiences. And we have a host of, of, of uh, endorsements or not endorsements, but testimonials um, regarding, you know, experiences of parents and coaches uh, using them, but that's, we, we need to give something that is, is distributable um, to all parents. We need something where they're, that engages with them in, at the depths it needs to be compelling enough that they will actually go through it. As you, you know, you've gone through the, the two of them, it has the ability to kind of draw you in because it, because it touches you parents at those depths and even coaches, which coaching is, is a, is a fairly deep thing as well. Quite, I mean, there's not many things probably deeper than coaching besides parenting. Um, but uh, so it's a very much a, um, this is something that at this point we have, we have a real solution to this. Um, and, and, you know, several clubs and states have, have, have started to bring these on boards. Um, I, we feel like MLS Academy seem to be the ones that are kind of 
in the front of this. Um, but we, you know, we'd love, you know, obviously we're speaking to all sorts of people all over the country um, and, and implementing these. Uh, but it has, it starts with uh, a recognition that parents are the most important piece of this entire thing. And then, and, and, um, and that, you know, that the issues that parents are experiencing flood into the players, the coaches, uh, even the referees, like we mentioned. So that's great, uh, Patrick. So if people wanted to learn more about Yanni training, they wanted to contact you, what's the best way to, to, to contract, uh, to contact Patrick Yanni or even Seth Taylor? Um, yeah, you can, can contact us at support at Um, and I will, I will respond to that, uh, Seth or I, most likely I will, um, you know, yannitraining.com speaks a little bit more to what we're doing on frame and the coaching revolution can both be found on Amazon, um, on frame type in Iani training, I A N N I, um, training, you'll, you'll find it, um, there. Um, yeah. And then we just, we'd love to start a conversation with you. There's so the, the people that are taking to this now um, are, are the ones that are starting a revolution on it, quite honestly. Um, so we would, you know, we, we welcome any conversation with anyone uh, that, that is looking to um, invest in, in the culture of their club. And so, and, and lastly, I just say, you know, thank you uh, for having us on. Thank you uh, for those that have listened. Um, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Well, you know, uh, from, from the get-go, and I've shared this with Seth and I've shared it with you, uh, I'm hooked on this. Uh, again, as, as someone who's been involved in the game, you know, for these many years from, from youth to the professional level, and um, the, the things that you're talking about, you and, Te you and Seth are, are talking about, I think are just so very important. And these two guidebooks, which I have right in front of me that I'm looking at, are, are such such wonderful, useful tools, um, you know, for coaches and parents uh, to use that um, if you really, you know, you get, on, you get involved with it, at the end of the day, the, the real winners are going to be our players. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I would encourage not just the MLS, <clears throat> that, that level of clubs, you know, doing this, but, but every youth soccer community, the local town teams, this is something that you, you can and actually should embrace. Because at the end of the day, if you're in the business of coaching the game of soccer, whether it's in, you know, Mayberry, you know, USA, or, you know, you're the New England Revolution or the Chicago Fire, these concepts, these things that Seth and, and, and Patrick are talking about, you know, they, they certainly resonate. So I, I certainly encourage folks to, uh, to check it out and, and, and get involved. So our guest today has been Patrick Yanni of Yanni Training. Uh, I am Giovanni Pacini. This is the GP Soccer Podcast. We're going to break for a very brief commercial message, I promise you, and we'll reconnect on the other side. Don't you dare go anywhere. There is an outstanding program that has impacted the lives of over 1,000 Rhode Island middle school youth, providing academic enrichment and using soccer as an incentive towards increased academic performance and an overall support for success. Project Goal is a 100% free co-educational program designed to inspire academic success through the reward of soccer. Project Goal students are afforded targeted academic enrichment with accredited teachers and earn an equal amount of time in soccer training with licensed coaches. All this in an environment that fosters academic and social accountability with the aim of developing educated and compassionate students. Project Goal has maintained a steady high school graduation rate of 96% with 90% going off to college. 
supported by the FIFA Foundation for the past 12 years, Project Goal is the model for reaching into our ethnic communities and providing high-quality educational and athletic opportunities. To learn more, visit Project Goal at projectgoal.org. Are you a player or a parent of a player who is passionate about playing soccer at the collegiate level but don't understand the process of where to start? Don't have enough time to spend researching? Don't understand what coaches are looking for or at what level your child needs to be playing at? What about academic and social environments? Admissions, financial aid, so much to consider. Well, you're not alone. My Soccer Advocate is your go-to source in finding the support and guidance you'll need to sort out this challenging process. My Soccer Advocate will help parents and players minimize the anxiety about what to do and arm you with the knowledge and support to give players and parents the best chance possible of reaching their dream. Our goal is to provide personal service to make your life easier. Youth soccer and club organizations can utilize My Soccer Advocate services, particularly when your coaches or administrators might not have the time or the connections in guiding players and parents through the college search process. Your players and families can then feel they are getting the needed support and a full package of service out of your organization. Contact My Soccer Advocate for a free consultation at info at mysocceradvocate.com and visit on the web at mysocceradvocate.com. Hi, I'm Skip Gilbert, CEO of USU Soccer, and you're listening to the GP Soccer Broadcast, brought to you by your host, Giovanni Pacini. Well, thank you, Skip Gilbert, for that uh, for that little bit of a plug uh, that was strategically placed there, ladies and gentlemen, because next week's interview guest is indeed Skip Gilbert of USYS. What a great way to start season four um, with, with Patrick Yanni of Yanni Training uh, in our, our wonderful conversation about what he and Seth Taylor are involved with uh, through their work across the country. Um, you know, I, I, as I've noted before with Seth and I've noted, you know, in the conversation I had with Patrick, you know, I really encourage all of you to, to, to check out what they're doing and to embrace the methods by which, you know, they're, they feel very strongly about, um, you know, that are super important about ensuring that, you know, not only the players are having a, a, a really good experience, but but parents and coaches and officials as well. Uh, and if we can really make inroads uh, with, with those groups of people that make up, well, heck, make up youth sports, um, the environment as a whole will improve. So, um, so thanks to Patrick uh, for contributing to um, the State of the Game conversation, uh, the very first conversation we've had here in Season 4. Uh, and as I noted earlier, earlier uh, in the broadcast, if you'd like to contribute, to this conversation, please, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, GP4Soccer, that's the number four, at yahoo.com. Uh, share with me your thoughts on, you know, maybe a conversation you've heard, uh, an interview you've heard from the show, or just your own thoughts uh, about what's going on in your soccer community. Because the idea, as I've noted again, um, it's, it's not just about painting a broad picture across the United States, but I really want to hear what's going on in different communities across the, across the country. Um, you know, we're, we, like I said before, we we're going to talk to some local high school soccer coaches and, you know, folks who are involved in, in different states across the country. And um, so I want to make sure that I, I hit as many, you know, many, many parts of the country as possible. So feel free to contribute via, you know, via email. So there you have it. Season four. Uh, in the books, so not season four in the books, but season four, uh, episode one is in the books. Don't get ahead of yourself, Giovanni. Um, the state of the game. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. As you now know, I'm, I'm excited about this. I think the body of work is going to be pretty good. Uh, and I certainly hope you uh, you enjoy uh, not just today's show with Patrick, but every, every episode of season four going forward. And it's going to be a long one. It's going to be a long one going right into June. 
uh, with every with every episode featuring an outstanding guest. So, if you like what you heard today, please tell everyone. If you didn't, tell everyone anyway. If you'd like to advertise on the GP Soccer Podcast, you can contact me, Giovanni Pacini, at GP4Soccer. That's the number four at yahoo.com or at 617-968-1800. This is Giovanni Pacini of the GP Soccer Podcast, and I will absolutely catch you later.